This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio NTS. Happy New Year, you're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. It is the new year and after a year of turmoil on and off the pitch, 2016 shapes as a defining year in the history of the game. In 2015, the stench of corruption around FIFA exploded from rumour to fact, and this year, many of the names involved will answer for their behaviour. But more importantly, now that the international body has been exposed, the big question is who will run the game in the future, and can the endemic corruption be rooted out to create a clean future? On Box to Box tonight, we'll cut through to a man at the highest levels of the conversation, Brendan Schwab, head of Uni World Athletes, the global union across professional sports, including football, and former chairman of Pro. Dean Hennessy will be in shortly to go through this weekend's A-League and John Cosmina to go through the big issues in the local game. Plus feature guests Aurelio Vidmar, coach of the Oli Roos with a massive task of guiding our under-23 squad to the Rio Olympics in August and Sydney FC's Ryan Grant joins us as well. Ben Summerford from the Green and Old Army to talk Aussies abroad and of course Ben Syro Perez with Everything Europe. Before that Mark Van Aken wraps it up with stoppage time. Good to see you Edge. G'day, Rob. Happy New Year, Rob. Good to be back uh, after our little holiday, one week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't want to work on Christmas Day, Rob. I thought it was you. I was here, mate, ready to go. I was <laughs> oh, here right. with uh, Nigel, our producer. Mark was here, had all his notes ready, and, mate, we couldn't do the show because you... No, we're all gagging. We did take a break. It was a great Christmas for all of us. We, it was. Uh, we all had a good it was. time. Hey, and we kick off uh, the kickoff year with a big guest, Brendan Schwab. Really looking forward to seeing his insight. I think that's probably going to be one of our more serious interviews that we've had on Box to Box. And the big man, Mark Van Aken, is back. Happy New Year, Mark. Happy New Year to you. I reckon the reason you weren't around on Christmas Day, mate, you got the white beard growing. Were you jumping down some chimneys Christmas Eve? Well, I must admit, I haven't had a shave since before Christmas, and my beard is white, and... Uh, my daughters uh, did suggest that that could have been the case. <laughs> I might have been Santa. Uh, but no, no, as you know, Mark, um, I don't think I fit down too many chimneys these days. <laughs> well, where do we go from there? Should we get into the news, Rob? I think we should, mate. Yeah, look, a little bit disjointed this week with the new year. Not a lot going on, actually, in Australia, despite the, the, the amount of games being played. But some interesting thoughts on our sister station in Melbourne, 3AW, earlier this week with Channel 9's Tony Jones, who's hosting Neil Mitchell's program, over the holiday period, let's have a listen to what he had to say. I am intrigued by the, the number of people booted out of the MCG on Boxing Day. We're talking about 90 fans being evicted for a whole range of reasons, the main one being uh, bad behaviour. There is, of course, drunkenness in there and the like. And I just reckon soccer fans would be up in arms over this because it seems that when 90 fans are booted out of the MCG on Boxing Day, it's like... Uh, Oh, well, that's, you know, the boys being boys. That's what happens on Boxing Day. They're being larrikins. Well, I can tell you, if that was an A-League soccer match, it'd be lead item on every news that night. Now, Tony Jones, guys, uh, not exactly known. He's obviously known as a, a good general sports guy and obviously into Aussie rules, cricket. Um, fascinating to see him sticking up for the world game. Not sure the bloke who usually sits in that chair, Rob, no. would be too impressed <laughs> with that line. I'm actually putting it down, Rob, to our influence. Here we are walking the corridors of 3AW Melbourne, uh, getting prepared for our show, and the bloke sitting in for Neil Mitchell goes into bat for us. I reckon that's pretty good because I don't think Neil would have actually shared the same view. Well, to borrow a uh, catch cry of one of the former McCoy Macquarie Radio Network sports commentators, Macquarie Radio Network is the world game, and that's what we are. Uh, 
we clearly are having a, a little bit of an influence, but in the fair income department, it's good to see that a serious sports journalist picks up on that story and uh, and acknowledges it for what it was because uh, I was uh, listening to some of the numbers and I heard one of the local police uh, uh, defend the uh, the numbers in some way, saying, oh, yeah, well, there was 50,000 there one day and 40,000 the next. So, you know, in the context, uh, you know, we're trying to be proactive and all the rest of it, but it just sounded... Uh, remarkably insensitive to to the rest of uh, of the community of sport outside of the traditional sports like cricket and AFL football and rugby league and so on to 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 not particularly off the back of these stories over the last several months to to treat it seriously so I take my hat off to Tony Jones well done TJ Big tick for two Chompers. Shows. I don't know you, but I'm going to call him Chompers. I know everyone else does. Now, on to the Central Coast Mariners. Uh, a couple of, a little, little bit of scuttlebutt going around. Georgios Samaras, whose uh, grandfather actually discovered or was one of the first people to get South Melbourne Hellas up and running. So obviously a story club in Australian football. He's been linked to play in Australia for a long time, but the 30-year-old uh, is now being linked to the Central Coast Mariners. However, the attacking strike, uh, the only problem is that Mike Charlesworth, the chairman and the owner of the club doesn't want to pay any money for him, which uh, you might as well just say you want Ronaldo. Yeah, if, if you're not willing to pay. Now this guy, he's on loan at the moment with Al Halal uh, in this in the Saudi in Saudi Arabia. He's on loan from West Bromwich Albion. You're gonna have to pay some serious money to get him here. But apparently Charlesworth wants FFA to flip the bill, Mike. Yeah, look, um, if I was a Central Coast fan, uh, and I know if you, I think I'd be very upset. This uh, penny-pinching attitude, the the whole Tony Wormsley coach thing, I think it's about to go sour up there. If they can get a player like this, they should be having a real crack. I think it goes back to Mike Cockrell's uh, uh, interview with us just uh, a couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas. Um, we've got an expectation that these clubs are promoting the game for uh, for the owner to sit back and penny pinch and try and make the money off the back of transfers from A-League out. I think uh, I think there's a big question mark over that. What's just un- not understandable about the whole situation is you can talk about penny pinching. You're obligated to pay 90% of the salary caps. So we're talking to Brendan Schwab later. He's obviously now out of the, the I guess, the small pond of Australia. But if I was the PFA, I'd be questioning how on earth that team is being paid 90% of the salary cap. Moving on, the beleaguered Mariners also face a battle on another front after it's been confirmed former coach Phil Moss will sue the club over his sacking at the start of the year. Well, last year, as it is today. Uh, a court date has been set in July to hear the case in which Moss will seek several hundred thousands of dollars for loss of earnings and a breach of contract as it emerged that a host of former coaches are still fighting to get money owned, owed by A-League clubs. And Mark, we this is in the order of and a couple I heard Laurie McQueen have put his hand up and said, I'll come and help you, and they, they've shunned him as well. So He's still the mayor up there, though, isn't he? Well, he's pretty popular he's up there. Time. Yeah, look, I think there's issues up there. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, and it comes uh, on the back of a former Brisbane Royal coach, Mike Mulby, who won the double, of course, back in 2013 in Queensland. He's in the midst of legal action to claim money he is owed. So it's a, a bit of a minefield. Under something a bit more positive. Now, we spoke exclusively to Rob Tanner from the Leicester Mercury, what, two or three weeks back on Box to Box. Um, but this week, Fox Sports' Daniel Garb had a chat to their legendary Socceroo backup keeper, Mark Schwartzer. Let's have a listen. The story here is still incredible. I mean, equal top at the halfway mark of the season. What's the objective now? I know you talk about one game at a time and 40 points and all the rest, but surely you must be thinking that something incredible is possible here. Um, well, we, we, to be fair, we haven't. We haven't actually even spoken about it. Obviously, we're enjoying the moment. You know, if you, if you stop and think about it, I think you could possibly get caught up in it all. So we try not to worry about it too much and just trying to concentrate on each game as it comes. And I think the last two games, you know, we didn't play very well against Liverpool, but 
you know, we only lost the game 1-0. And if, again, we, had, we, we just lacked a little bit of an ounce of luck tonight, I think for a lot of periods of the game we held our own. And, and I think it just goes to show the self-belief amongst the boys in the change room and and, uh, and ultimately the performances on the pitch have been, been, been very remarkable, really. An extension to that, when you come up against you know, Man City and Chelsea, do you believe in that change room now that you can beat them? Yeah, without a doubt. That everyone has the self-belief and the confidence that you can go in every game and, and, and win it. And I think that's been pretty obvious from the day one. And even though you're not playing, Mark, amid this incredible story that is Leicester City, how much are you enjoying it, being a part of it all? It's it is really remarkable, like you said, and it's, um, it surprises everyone. You know, it's not just outside world, but it surprised us to a degree as well, and particularly myself. Um, but you know, when I came here in January, I, I sensed there was something special amongst the players, and, and you know, the self belief and, and uh, the momentum, which was something that we lacked. We didn't we didn't have that little bit of luck. And once we gained a little bit of luck, if you look at the the performances and also the results and the points that we gathered this year, this calendar year, it's been been an unbelievable uh, 12 months of football that this. Club Clubs produced and and uh, I think you know where we are where we are because we deserve to be there. You're enjoying it. I am. Yeah, it's been great. It's been you know of course you'd love to play more games, but I understand my role and and uh, you know they're a great bunch of lads and and the manager's done a remarkable job and and uh, you know the great thing about this club is that everyone pulls together in the same direction and everyone gets on extremely well and you know everyone's fighting for one another. Now, look, that audio is a little bit long, boys, but I just thought it was really interesting because he's obviously behind the scenes there. Uh, he's probably seen as someone who's going to play a big role in the future in coaching at some level uh, over in the UK or back in Australia. And just what an interesting insight and a surprisingly eventful sunset to his career over there in England. Yeah, he, he, he's done really well. And uh, look, I think we might see him before the end of the year too. In the FA Cup game or That's two. right. I think so. Are they still in the FA Cup? We should check that. They are. They are, yes. Now... And we were going to talk about our podcast. Cockrell, that's uh, right. You did mention the uh, Mike Cockrell interview, Edge. And uh, and if you want to pick up on any of the episodes, this is the eighth episode of Box to Box. You can tune in to any of the previous seven episodes on boxtoboxntsradio.com.au. Yeah, boxtoboxntsradio.com.au. You can hear everything, including Hussinik, who joined us a little while ago. And there is some rumours that Hussinik might join I, us I've later seen on. him floating around the hallways here, boys. Oh, good. Weird, I heard our producers in were trying to get him on. Yeah, well, I'll see what I can do. As you know, I'm a connected man across the football world, and mm. when I pop my head back in for stoppage time, I'll see if I can get Yus into the studio, boys. Excellent. And speaking of stoppage time, we will talk to you later on. Thank you, Mark. We'll have John Cosmina next to talk about everything that's going on in the A-League, all of the stories around the Melbourne victory and how they're travelling, the uh, the City-Sydney match coming up soon. It's all on NTS News Talk Sport, where you can listen to us on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app, and also search for us on TuneIn Radio. You can listen to us there as well. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. You can listen to us on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app, and you can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. And next up, right now, in fact, we have Australian football legend, regular of the show, John Cosmina. Happy New Year, Cosy. Um, yeah, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you guys as well. So, mate, um, there's plenty to talk to. We've uh, got Dean Hennessy coming up next to analyse the, the games themselves. But uh, in terms of the, uh, the the general conversation around football and the A-League, the, the real one that sort of stands out right now is the uh, the, the shocking form of, uh, of the Melbourne victory. Uh, they've lost four and had a draw in the last five weeks. Where's it all gone wrong? Uh, it's interesting. I think you've got a number of players that are out of form. 
um, all at the same time. Ben, and look, you go back to say Fahid Ben Kalfala, for example. He, um, I think, is uh, despite his um, age, is suffering second year blues. Mm. He had a point to prove when he got here last season, and he did it. And this year, things haven't quite worked out the same. Uh, Barisha, I think now is uh, teams have worked out how to stop Melbourne, and they get really tight on Barisha. If you look at the job that Michael Twait did in both of the Perth matches, Barisha hardly couldn't have got a kick in a street fight. It was, um, I mean, apart from the one he hit the bar with, and I think that was in game one from memory. Um, he's been struggling for for, uh, for touches, and they also, you know, team screened in front of him. So every time he gets a ball, he's, he's facing back towards his own goal. Um, and I think they're lacking just a general bit of leadership from, um, say, the likes of uh, Mark, uh, Mark Milligan, who's now left, and, and probably more so Carl Valeri, who's, you know, for me was a quiet achiever last season. He, he didn't miss um, a minute from memory uh, last season in any of their games. And uh, he was there from start to finish, and he gets a lot of work done, and he just cleans up those those little messy bits in the, that happen in the middle of the park and makes it, the game look so much more simpler. So they've got a few issues there, and I think um, also they've become very, very predictable. I think uh, maybe Muskie needs to look now at uh, maybe getting some more rotational stuff into how they play. Um, I'd look at some positional changes as well. I don't think Daniel Georgievsky is anywhere near as effective on the left as he is on the right. Um, because Jason Garrier, for me, hasn't been playing all that well. Um, comfortable on the ball and everything. but So there's a whole lot of little things that add up to one big thing, which is no results. Well, I want to talk about one big thing, Bessart Barisha. I want to ask you your opinion, Cosy, um, whether he's getting a reputation for diving and what you think uh, about that in the modern game, uh, especially... Um, with uh, the way fan, I know the Melbourne Victory fans love him, and he's uh, thought of very fondly in Brisbane as well. But um, does he dive? Um, look, he doesn't dive. I think he makes the most of situations, and he's very good at it. And look, most strikers do it. I used to do it when I played. You'd take a half a tap in the box. You know you're not going to get the ball, um, or it's going to be difficult. You, you you make a meal of it, and Bessart actually does it. I do think sometimes he goes to ground a little bit too easily. Um, and so, and also for me, some of the the remonstrations are probably a little bit over the top as well. Um, and you know, he probably from you know my personal advice to him now would be. Um, he just needs to just focus on playing football and forget about penalties and fouls and talking to referees and he just needs to become a little bit more humble and go uh, fly a little bit under the radar for a while and I think he'll start to find his form coming back. It's interesting you make that point about going to ground a little too easily. He certainly looks strong enough. I mean, I've watched uh, uh, Aaron Moy, as many of us have, at close hand, and, and the strength of that man to, to shrug off players and, and keep his feet and then to go on to create uh, uh, creative situations for not only himself and, and his teammates uh, is, is just there every week to see. Barisha seems to, to be taking the soft option to try and get the referee to, to give him that free kick or that penalty where if he kept playing on and kept his feet and used that strength that he has, he's a real bull to, uh, to, yeah, to make his I, own opportunities. I, I can't disagree with that. Uh, I think that compare the two players, Aaron Moy's a different type of athlete. I'll tell you now, if I was um, Anthony Creer at Melbourne Victory, I'd be spending a lot of time with Bessart working on footwork because I think at times um, he gets his feet a little bit too far apart and he does tend to lose balance and that's when um, you're stretched and 
the ball's a little bit further away that you're not going to get there quickly because your legs are too far apart. I know it sounds it's trivial, but it's not. It's just a little observation I've made. But, um, yeah, you're right. Um, but it's a mindset thing with him as well. Best thing is you just want to play football now and not, not worry about the free kicks and who's trying to kick him and how difficult his life's become because... Players do make... If you get tight on Bessart, if you do your job as a defender, it doesn't matter whether it's Bessart, Barisha or, or anyone else in the league for that matter. Um, you know, it could be Alex Brosk. You know, it could be Shane Smeltz. Um, if you get tight and do your job as a defender, um, your, op- your opponent, your direct opponent, is always going to find life a bit difficult and get frustrated. And that's what's happened to Bessart at the moment. You're with Michael Edgley and Rob Gilbert on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio and streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. We're talking to former Socceroo legend and Fox Sports pundit John Cosmina. Cosy, uh, we've we've done the Melbourne victory thing um, pretty much to death, but they do have a a pretty tough period ahead. Asian Champions League starts up soon. Uh, they'll lose up to five plays, we think, to the to the Ollie Roos. Um, if you were John, if if you were uh, Kevin Musket, um, you know, would you be concerned, worried, or panicking? Uh, probably a little bit of the above, and, and partly none of the above, because the fact is, you th- the situation is what it is, and you can't change that. So you've got to not look at the negatives. You've got to look at how you're going to get through it and what you need to do. And, I mean, if I was Muskie, I'd actually look at backing off the training program a little bit. It, uh, it almost looks to me, and I said this on Fox the other week, that they're a little bit overcooked. They worked fairly hard to achieve what they did with the FFA Cup, and they were in good form then. Um, but they, it's almost like they've, got, they've done too much too quick. They were in good form right at the start of the season. Um, a lot of other teams start off a bit more slowly and, and play themselves into form towards the end. So I would be looking at maybe backing off the training program a bit. I mean, one session missed every now and then is not going to kill you. Um, and when things aren't going right, I used to find as a coach, sometimes we just say the blokes take three days off. Um, don't go near a football. I don't want to hear from you. Don't come, you know, you can hang around with each other, but don't, don't uh, nothing, no ball, no nothing. Just go on. Go to the movies, take your wife out, your mm. girlfriend, do whatever you need to do, spend some time with the kids. That's a real good point, Cosy. In this holiday season that we're all enjoying now, sometimes you you don't realise how much you needed a break until you're in the middle of the break, and then you come back to to work refreshed and hungry and uh, enthusiastic and and probably a little bit sharper than you than you were before you left. Yeah, that's important. You know, it, um, I think it, it, it's understated, and I know a lot of the coaching methodology. You know, in the modern era, is all about just, you know, train, train, train. There's nothing wrong with that. I agree with that. But there's times where you just need to to take a day off. You know, one training session or two training sessions isn't going to kill you, especially when things aren't going right. Uh, Because sometimes you don't see the the forest for the trees. And especially from a coaching perspective, um, you're in there trying to fix something, you're trying to work on something. Yeah, we're going to go back to basics, you're going to work from the numbers. And it doesn't work. It, um, you actually miss the problem, the main problem. And it could be that they're just a little bit overdone. Cosy, we'll just get your thoughts on a couple of other things in the A-League that are ticking over at the moment. Brisbane Raw doing well. John Aloisi, um, how far can they go this season? Look, looking at the way they played last week against Melbourne City, and they actually demolished Melbourne City. Um, 3-1 um, was probably a fair score line, I think, especially, I mean, all give, albeit... The, the third goal was a result of Thomas Sorensen going up to try and get an equaliser in the last moment. But, um, no, I think 
Brisbane Roar actually completely outplayed Melbourne City in the way that they set up tactically as well. Um, you, very, you saw very little of Aaron Moy in the first half. Second half, he came into it a little bit more, um, but the damage was done by then. Okay, and on to the Sydney FC Melbourne City match tomorrow night. That's a massive one. They had a big win last week, but it was against the the lowly Central Coast Mariners. They've continued to struggle to score goals. What does your old mate Arnie need to change? Um, he needs Alex Brosk in the side. I think that was shown last week because he's the only one that can score regularly. Um, he tends to pick up or find those little spaces in between defenders and in between the lines where... Um, you can play him in. I mean, he played a little one-two for the first goal, and uh, you know, and then got the rebound after it, um, it came back in. So, look, it, Broski's a clever player, um, but they need. Uh, I think you know Robert Stombolzia, but I think got some game time last week. He had a big impact last season. Um, you know, Chicky Newmoff, as we've seen very little of him this year. You know, Graham's probably trying to get the, the most out of the guys he's got. And um, I don't think it's really worked too well. And, and the one that, you know, I think's made a massive difference if you compare Sydney's form now to the start of the season with Brandon O'Neill. And he ended up missing out um, for Michael Tavares. And, you know, with Tavares being a, or Tavares being a, a, um, a, a visa player, um, probably expecting to play and, you know, Arnie would put a lot more faith in him. Um, I think Brandon O'Neill, and some stats we showed on Fox the other week actually proved this. Um, 58% of Brandon O'Neill's passes go forward, 38 of Michael Tavares's go forward. So you start thinking that's 20%, that's a, a massive difference in passes coming out of your holding midfielder uh, that put you into a forward position. And in a word, do you think they can beat Mel- Melbourne City or uh, are they uh, going to well, I've tipped the draw point? because I think Melbourne City are probably, you know, they their form was sparkling, but it was against pretty um, ordinary opposition. Um, Sydney uh, struggling to score goals last week. You know, I don't count the Central Coast because <laughs> they're at the bottom of the table for a reason. I don't even want to talk about them. Mm. Um, so I've gone for a draw because I think both teams are going to struggle to really break each other down. Excellent stuff yet again, Cosy, as always. Have a great new year, mate. Hope it's a successful one for you. Thanks, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, mate. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Dean Hennessy next with his weekly A-League Roundup. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. You're on Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley on NTS News Talk Sport. You can find us on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app, and you can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. Now, there's plenty of A-League this week. We talked to Cozzy earlier, and now with his analysis of round 13 of the A-League, former Notts County man and 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League, Dean Hennessy. Happy New Year, Dino. Yeah, Happy New Year, uh, Rob and Nedge, and um, yeah, looking forward to a big year. Absolutely, mate. So, uh, kick us off. Uh, we've got the uh, match... This evening, Western Sydney Wanderers versus Adelaide at Parramatta Stadium. That's going to be a pretty tricky match for the visitors, mate. Yeah, look, it will. I mean, but Adelaide in a really good vein of form, um, you know, and we've been noticing that in the last few weeks about their turnaround, another great win last week um, against Wellington. But they're still coming up against the league leaders who've been great and on a really good roll and looking like championship material. So um, mm. as much as I think Adelaide have improved, this will be their toughest test in recent weeks. But uh, I'm going to definitely go for Western Sydney Wanderers. But in that kind of form, you'd think if they can nick a point, uh, they're just going to stay in touch with the uh, the bottom end of the top six. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I mean, they'll go in with they'll go in positive. I mean, why not? They've had a great run. But I just think Western Sydney Wanderers they've done really, really well. Their season's really well on track now, and 
again, I just think they just find a victory. If, if, if it's tight, they'll still get a victory. And the first game on Saturday, Dino, Brisbane Roar and Perth Glory. For me, Brisbane Roar are definitely the, one of the stories of the season. Um, administration issues, uh, new coach, John O'Luissi, uh, pretty much a threadbare squad, couple of interesting signings, Jamie McCurran scoring goals, and last round's victory for those guys over Melbourne City was very impressive. No, it was. I mean, uh, Brisbane have been, you know, they had that little hiccup, you know, that little spell where they weren't winning, but they're back on definitely winning uh, on winning track now. And I thought there was a couple of highlights out of that game was that not only the Jamie McLaren performance again, but I actually thought Jack Hingert did really, really mm. well and uh, really kept Novello out of the game. And I think that was a big difference because he's been a big, big threat for them, as we know. And I just think that the fact that he's had a really good season so far, and again, two Melbourne-based boys, you know, from from uh, from Victoria. So, but look, Brisbane have been great. I think they've been really well managed, and I think we've said it in the shows before that um, you know he's, he's, he's learned from his first experience. And uh, it appears that way, doesn't it? Well, I it really, so. I think it, he looks different on the sideline too. He does look a lot more. Um, there's a lot more energy and emotion coming from John O'Leary compared to what we saw at Melbourne City. He does look a bit different. Yeah, I think. And look, and another thing we most probably we don't really value or maybe consider it's like when he brought his brother in to assist him sometimes you're thinking well where's that coming from then there's, there's only a few that i've remembered you know the Coomans are still doing it yeah. at southampton but um you know maybe the brother effect there as well because you can trust him i mean if you can't trust him he is in trouble <laughs> and maybe he feels really confident with the group and um, i know talking to a couple of brisbane players that they're really enjoying working under him but the thing with Perth is that they're still in with a sniff. I, I don't, they don't, they're a team that doesn't know when they're out of it, do they? They just keep on turning up time and time again. There seems to be a good vibe at the club. Kenny Lowe and Peter Philopoulos seem to have a good relationship. We talked to Peter a few weeks back. They uh, they managed to pull that late one back against uh, victory, against a shoddy victory, it has to be said. Uh, I, I don't discount their chances altogether if they can pick up the three points then then that puts them on a par depending on other results over the weekend with uh, with the bottom end of the uh, the six yeah look i was impressed with perth against uh, victory last week i mean it was a dubious uh, penalty that they got you know to go mm. one nil down mm. but they they hung in there and they created lots of chances and then you know right towards the end they got their own uh, penalty which you know i've seen given and sometimes not but Again, um, they're, they're very competitive and they've had a really good run of late. So I think, you know, Perth season is definitely turning around. Their position hasn't quite changed, obviously, where they want to be. But they've definitely kept and not been pushed away from, you know, like down where Central Coast are. So, look, I still think too strong uh, Brisbane and, um, you know, I'm going to go for Brisbane. Dino, let's go to the match of the round. This is the big one uh, that you're going to pick apart for us. Um, Amy Park, uh, tomorrow night, Melbourne City and Sydney FC. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting match. Uh, third versus fourth. Uh, what's your take? Look, it's the it's the round, obviously, of the of the weekend for us. Um, Melbourne City had a really good run. Obviously, had the blip last week. Um, I think they'll have a few concerns about a couple of things that happened in that game against Brisbane. They were exposed, and as much as the scoreline went three one because it was a really late goal because Sorensen had gone up, it was Sorensen who kept them in it. You know, and they created lots of chances. He was brilliant, wasn't he? He was, and he and look, he's a top 
top top quality goalkeeper he's an international goalkeeper he's played in major tournaments and uh, that experience you can't buy but you know even with his age he's, he's still sharp some of the saves he's been making you know point blank and having the reflexes he's been outstanding and and I think you know while he's doing well they are still vulnerable they do concede a lot of goals their major strength as we all know is they're scoring goals and they're scoring lots of goals and they, you know they've basically got the three people that's um, most probably been the catalyst of that you know with Moy, Formarolo and Novello and between them they've got you know over half the goals in fact nearly two-thirds of the goals um, and I think if they can get their like the good the home the home form is really good so if they can get onto it early put the demons away from last week get a really good tempo I think then that could set up a really interesting of how Sydney then will appear to how they're going to combat that we're talking to Dean Hennessy about the A-League, the big match on tomorrow night between Melbourne City and Sydney FC. You're on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, we're going to talk to Ryan Grant up next and ask him for as much as he can tell us about this game. But uh, Sydney FC, they will see this as a bit of a banana skin. Uh, uh, they're going away. They uh, they are below Melbourne City, but by rights, they think that uh, they've given up points against sides and Graham Arnold would certainly uh, make that uh, contention that they, they should be further up the ladder, apart from a few uh, dodgy refereeing decisions, yeah. uh, they will really need to be on their, their best uh, to, to get the at least a point and if not the victory. Look, I mean, we've talked about Arnie and he has been a little bit grumpy of late and a lot of things do to appear to have gone against them. The biggest factor is they haven't scored enough goals. I mean, they scored 15, but up until that, the 4-1 win last week, they'd got 11 goals, of which... Uh, the, uh, Alex Brosk had got five and the, the boy Holosko had got four so they'd scored nine out of the 15 now so if they're not on song where, where do the goals come from we didn't, We know they're the best defensive team in the league we know how much Arnie's organised and knows really about what his game plan's going to be and I still think he'll come there with a vision of saying well let's not give anything away too early and make sure that we're nice and compact make them bring the game to us and then try and catch them on the counter uh, in, on the flip side of that though Melbourne City may go the other way and actually draw them out because obviously really really good in transition got a lot of pace and if they can get the ball into Formarolo with his ability with back to goal and bringing players in I think it's going to be a really interesting game of chess Dino um, I think Matt Simon's suspended for this match uh, and I know there's an injury cloud over Alex Brosk it will test Sydney won't it absolutely I mean uh, silly thing he did I mean we've all done it um, you know, you get frustrated. You've seen a little incident the referee might not have seen, and then you just give him a little clip just to make sure that he, he knows that it's happened. But it was on the television; everyone could see it. The referees saw it, and well, they didn't see it, but didn't actually act. Well, upon they had no it. choice, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they, had, yeah. they had to come back to it and, yeah. and, and readdress it because obviously that sends the wrong message. So, a bit of an indiscipline there. Um, but yeah, especially if Broski can't come up, and, and he's going to be a big factor. You know, even again with his age, but he's just experience and quality. And a lovely fellow as well. I've been um, fortunate enough to meet him a few times. And I think he brings a lot to the table. But I, I've got a feeling with Melbourne City, they've been on a good run. I mean, last week they're playing against a good side. At home, their home form's unbelievable. I've got a feeling it'll be tight. 
and you know could easily throw a draw and I will stand corrected my last time I predicted I was wrong so I'm man enough to put my hands up but I've got a feeling that Melbourne City because that's the team I didn't bat last time I'm going to bat them this time to win 2-1 okay so Melbourne City to beat Sydney FC 2-1 mark that down in your diaries we'll call you out on it next week but you, as you said mate, you're uh, a stand-up guy and you do admit <laughs> when you're wrong as well as take the plaudits when you're not or when you are right I should say okay so there's one more game in the round Sunday afternoon at Hunter Stadium now this is a, a massive match for a Melbourne victory yeah uh, it's the uh, bogey team they've got the bogey team that, as well it absolutely is uh, they've uh, got a team who uh, again are one of those uh, uh, teams on the fringes yep. they need to win they're better at home victory uh, they've had one draw and four losses out of their last five starts. They're completely out of form. Uh, Dave Davudovic wrote in the Herald Sun earlier this week that a big decision needs to be made, talking about uh, about possibly uh, uh, Kevin Musker dropping Fahid ben Um He was actually OK um, uh, last time out. He, he was one of the, the real playmakers um, in that last game. So uh, so he's probably got at least one more game to to, um, to show his form. But uh, how do you see this one playing out, Dino? Look, I think, I think this is a big challenge for Kev. Um, he's got, you know, obviously he's in uncharted waters you know especially going on and had an unbelievable 2015 he's won three you know three trophies in that period which is excellent but most probably with management and coaching and that it's when you get through the hard times how do we get out of it and I can sense now with the fans last week they got frustrated Mm. Um, it was interesting with some of his substitutions where he's brought Archie on and then within two or three minutes he's moved Archie Mm. and brought on Connor Payne and I think sometimes you just try and you try and make decisions just to change something up, but he's really being consistent about picking the same side. So I think he'll go again with the same side. I think he'll have worked hard. Newcastle, yeah, bogey team at home. They are up and down. If victory get it right, they can turn the season on this game, go and get a win, and then they'll be back in business. But if they get it wrong and a few other teams get it right, then they could be almost on the fringes of dropping out of six contention wouldn't that be uh, unbelievable and that's and again that's where all the works you know there's a lot of work to be done and even if they get a victory it, you know all of a sudden it's only one victory you know you've got to go and back it up the next week so from a melbourne point of view obviously you know victory want that win but newcastle are desperate as well so again i'm gonna still stick my neck out and go victory okay massive weekend of football thanks dino Great new year to you, mate, uh, and we'll have a hell of a lot more conversations about the A-League uh, as uh, the next couple of months roll out towards the finals. Thanks, Rob, and thanks, Edge. Ryan Grant from Sydney FC, next up after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. You are with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport Digital Radio, streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. Now, since the A-League began over 10 years ago, the Big Blue has been one of the competition's biggest rivalries. But any sporting fixture between a Sydney and Melbourne side is bound to generate feeling. And with Sydney FC and Melbourne City separated only by goal difference for third and fourth as we pass the mid-season point, tomorrow night at Amy Park shapes as a defining one for the established club in Sydney and the would-be mega club Melbourne City here to talk us through the visitors Sydney FC central midfielder Ryan Grant great to have you on the show Ryan cheers boys now mate uh, we also want to talk to you a little bit about your career itself uh, you've carved a, a niche for yourself as the uh, as the Mr Fixit of Sydney FC you've been an attacking midfielder holding midfielder right back left back once even centre half since you joined the club in 28 is that how you see yourself or has Graham Arnold uh, uh, spoken to you about or is it all just a sort of coincidence and happens as the uh, the season or the seasons have played out 
Yeah, sort of. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, like you said, I've been known as Mr. Fix it a bit for the last couple of years, but um, it's always fun, always um, good to, to play a different role, and uh, I enjoy it. But um, Arnie spoke to me the start of this season in pre-season and uh, saw me as a, a right back, um, and that's where he wanted me to play and concentrate on. And um, so far this season, that's where I've been playing, other than uh, left back when we've had a few injuries and suspensions. So. Um, Fullback's pretty much the same whether it's on the right or left, so it's not too much difference. But yeah, I'm pretty much a fullback now. Ryan, you spoke about uh, uh, Graham Arnold and uh, he's uh, he's advised you early in the preseason. Um, I think there's not a week goes by when we don't uh, play a bit of a recording from one of Arnie's press conferences. We get a lot of entertainment out of it. Um, tell us about the Graham Arnold that you know behind the scenes at training in team meetings. Um, how do you describe him? Um. Very positive and um, has a lot of belief in uh, what he does and, and how we play and um, has a lot of belief in the players that he has, has brought in and, and the squad. So he's always uh, easy to talk to, um, uh, loves to have a bit of a laugh and uh, have a bit of a joke with the players. So uh, a lot of times people sort of see him on the sideline and he sort of looks a little bit aggro and whatnot, which obviously uh, any person or a coach watching a game can get. But... Uh, behind closed doors is um, very f- professional and very easy to talk to and, um, yeah, great coach. And a country boy yourself from Canoundra, you'd like that uh, that real personalised feeling, the uh, the natural style of a coach that, you know, gets down and talks to you man-to-man? Yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, yeah, coming from the country, you, you sort of like those blokes and love to be able to have a yarn and um, to... to Someone especially like Graham Arnold and, and obviously being a coach, easy to talk to, um, lots of, makes it a lot easier for not only me but a lot of the players. So, yeah, I think, I think you're spot on with that. So this season's been a bit of an up-and-down season for you. Uh, the expectations uh, probably not quite met, but uh, we're only rounding the, the mid-season mark. But you've got a massive game tomorrow night. Melbourne City have got you on goal difference. Uh, you really clearly do need to, uh, to, to get this one away from home, at least a point to, uh, to just maintain that uh, position alongside of them and, and get the, the back end of the season running with some momentum? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good assessment of it. Obviously, it's, every game is a big game, but um, we've obviously coming off a win and we want to keep that momentum going and playing against a team like Melbourne City that has been in uh, fairly good form and, and playing some good football is always a good challenge for us and something we're looking forward to. So hopefully we can go out there, like you said, and... and uh, at very least, get a, a draw, but obviously we never go into a game wanting that. We want the three points. Uh, we've got a pretty good record away from home, so we're pretty confident. And hopefully, we can play well and play to our potential. And I think if we do that, we'll, we'll definitely get the three points. So when you sit down, obviously you've got uh, a plan for the game, and no doubt at some point Aaron Moy will be running at you. Um, he's had a, a wonderful season. Um, so, so how much uh, planning goes into individual players versus a, a, a team style? Uh, I think obviously Arnie um, sits down early in the week and we have a lot of video sessions to, to go over the team. Um, he'll obviously comment on a few players, uh, things they like to do and, and whatnot, but I think everyone in the, in the A-League, every player and, and fan knows how good uh, Aaron Moy's been and, and knows he's a, he's a freak the way he plays. So you can sort of uh, try and anticipate as much as you want with him, but he, he can produce something special. So it's just, a, I think, a matter of... Um, keeping him off the ball as much as we can and not letting him dictate play and 
and whatnot. But if he comes at me, man, I'm just going to hope for the best and hopefully he doesn't embarrass me. <laughs> no, you'll be fine, Ryan. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Sydney FC defender Ryan Grant, and we, we mentioned Aaron Moy, and a lot of the conversation around Aaron Moy is uh, just when he'll go to Europe. But uh, you're a relatively young player yourself. You've represented the country at the junior levels. Uh, do you have aspirations to play out of the country? I guess uh, uh, most players do. Yeah, I think uh, as a young as a young fellow, you always wanted to uh, play overseas and obviously play for your, your country. But uh, I think it gets to a time where you you got to be realistic and, and whatnot. But I think uh, the A League itself is obviously getting better and better each year. I've I've been in the league for a while, and um, like I said, it's getting better each year. So it's uh, at the moment I'm very content in A League, and obviously it's still a challenge. So um, that's great. It's great to still be a part of it. Um, if the, the chance comes to go overseas, then I'll definitely have a look at it and, and suss it out. But at the moment, um, I'm really happy at Sydney FC and, and playing in the A-League. And um, You can't really compare Australia to many countries, so we're pretty lucky to, to play uh, professional uh, football in, in such a good country. So I'm, I'm pretty happy and content, to be honest. Uh, back to the game tomorrow night. Um, I think Matt Simon will be suspended, and I think Alex Brosk may be under an injury cloud. Um Obviously, uh, attacking Spark, you're going to need it. Um, they're free scoring in Melbourne City. And so have you guys. I mean, you've scored four goals recently against Central Coast Mariners. So tell us uh, tell us about the attacking formation at uh, Sydney FC uh, tomorrow night. How do you think it might come out? Uh, oh, I don't want to give away too many things. Who knows who's listening? Um, but no, we've obviously got, like you said, a, a few uh, like suspension with Simo and, and Broski in an injury cloud. So um, it's just whether... Um, oh, sorry, whoever Arnie sees is, is fit to play there. We've obviously got a few options with, obviously, Phil Pulosco comes back into contention this week and got a, got a, a lot of young players um, that I feel uh, could easily uh, fill the void there and they've been training really well and, and uh, really impressing. So um could be any of those young players. So it's, it's just a matter of um, who Arnie sees. Uh, fit to do that and um, I'm sure whoever does get the, the nod will do a great job but we'll just have to wait and see um, and it's obviously still some chance that Alex Brosk will play but um, interesting enough during the week I noticed that he said that uh, he, he won't think about his future until the end of the season um, and that if he doesn't sign a, a deal with Sydney FC that he would likely retire what's your opinion Ryan do you think um, Alex has got more football in him yeah, I definitely think so. Obviously, you could tell uh, this year already he's been uh, one of, if not our best player uh, so far. So um, to have him stay on next year and, and continue his career would be a massive boost for for not only us as, as players, but the club, um, Sydney itself. So I uh, would love him to stay along. He's obviously a great captain and a, and a great leader and even better bloke, to be honest. He's, he's always looking out for all the boys and, and having a good laugh. So... Um, if he can stay around the group, then that'd be unreal. But I think he's, uh, the way he's playing, um, he's far from uh, ready to retire, to be honest. He's obviously still doing quite well and scoring goals pretty regularly. So um, I can't see why he'd want to retire, but that's just me. But um, obviously he, he knows himself, um, how his body's feeling and whatnot. And like you said, he'll, he'll wait to the end of the season to suss it out. But fingers crossed he's all good and, and stays on for, for a few more years. Absolutely looks far from a spent force, mate. Now, your crosstown rivals, West Sydney Wanderers, are flying. Brisbane are looking good and City have been in great form. Who's been the toughest opposition you've faced this season so far? 
uh, I think if you look at all the games we've played against those teams, they've actually done quite well and, and kept them to, uh, besides Melbourne, Melbourne victory, got a few goals passes. But other than that, so we play really well in that game. So uh, it's a difficult one. I think they're all obviously great teams. And like you said, a lot of them are in good form, but um, you can't beat the, the derby when we, we come up against Western, Western Sydney Wanderers. And obviously they've on a bit of a roll at the moment and um, it's always great playing them. So they've, they've, they were difficult, but uh, we obviously beat them, which is happy days. But um, I think they're all been tough. And at, at the end of the day, in, in the A-League, any team can sort of beat any team on their day. So it's one of those leagues and that's what makes it uh, interesting. So I think every team each week is always difficult. Well, you've got a big game tomorrow night, uh, Melbourne City at Amy Park. Do you like playing at Amy Park? What's the surface like uh, compared to the Sydney Football Stadium? Yeah, what, have I, what I remember, it's a, it's a great um, pitch. Uh, they always sort of look after it, and the, the stadium itself is a, it's a great little stadium and um, great atmosphere. So hopefully it's a decent crowd and, and uh, everyone's there and, and ready to go, and hopefully we can put on a good performance for them. Excellent, Ryan, mate. Look, thank you so much for joining us on Box to Box. Happy New Year, mate. We uh, hope for your sake that you get a, a New Year's gift tomorrow night at Amy Park against Melbourne Sydney, Melbourne City. And, uh, mate, we'll look forward to having you again on Box to Box in the future. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Happy New Year. You too, mate. That's Ryan Grant. It's been great to talk to him. News is next. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. Welcome back to Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport, and we wish you all a very new year, as well as our sponsors, the, the great friends we have at Chemist Warehouse, Mario Tasconi and Sam Gantz. Good uh, new year to you as well. We are really grateful for the support that's allowed this program to get up off the ground. This hour, we talk to one of Australia's most respected sports administrators, head of UniWorld Athletes, the global union across professional sports, including football, and former chairman, vice chairman, that is, of FIF Pro, Brendan Schwab. Ben Soro Perez will be in with his weekly European wrap. And before we end the show, Mark Van Aken and Stoppage Time, where he mops up the bits we haven't covered. But first up, it's the new year, and with Rio around eight months away, the man responsible for guiding the Oli Roos to the Olympics, Coach Aurelio Vidmar joins us on Box to Box for the first time. Thanks for coming on the show, Aurelio. A pleasure, gentlemen. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. Um, and what a massive year it is for you and the and the Oli Roos, uh, only eight months away, Rio. Yeah, it is. It's uh, come around pretty quickly. Um, we started this uh, process a couple of years ago, and um, and bang, before you know it, it's uh, just a few days away before we depart to, uh, for Dubai. So looking forward to it. Pretty tough group for us, but uh, I think one that we can navigate pretty successfully. Aurelio, before we talk about the, the group games and uh, how difficult uh, or how um, how challenging that's going to be, can you just take us through the myriad uh, jigsaw puzzle, which is trying to assemble your squad for camps um, and uh, and prepare properly, players availability, because uh, we've heard, some, heard and read some articles recently that some players won't be available. Yeah, that's right, um, and that's always um, uh, a difficult area to uh, to control, and that's because um, the qualifying games are not on FIFA FIFA dates, so they're not protected by uh, by FIFA. So uh, the clubs aren't obliged to uh, to let their players uh, go and play international games. So unfortunately for us, um, as much as good uh, a bit of goodwill that we have with the some clubs, uh, most of them don't like to be disrupted in terms of uh, their domestic competitions. So 
Uh, I think we've missed out on about six or seven at the end. So we're disappointed with that, but uh, there's nothing we can do. Um, the players have themselves fought quite hard with their own clubs, um, and it's a it's a real touchy one because uh, although they're very very keen to come and represent uh, their country, they also uh, are on the a knife's edge as well because uh, uh, at their clubs they're paying they're paying for their wages. Uh, so it's a pretty tricky one. Uh, we've done the best we 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 can with those uh, players and those clubs overseas, and as I said, we're we've, we're missing about six or seven. Um, but we've secured, secured the rest, and um, I think there's about 11 from overseas and uh, 12 from uh, from the A League. And I assume other nations are in a similar boat. I imagine some of your some of the teams you'll play against will have a similar situation. Well, we're in a bit of a unique situation because um, besides ourselves, I'd say there's um, several players from South Korea and potentially several from uh, Japan. Um, all the rest of the, the Asian nations, they all play in, in, in their own uh, countries. So, um, as an example, Vietnam and uh, the UAE, they've been in camp most of this month uh, of December uh, playing games. Um, yeah, I think uh, the UAE have another three games before we, we play them in the opening game. So, uh, they've got a bit of an advantage. Uh, unfortunately, because we've got so many from overseas, the only times we can actually get the players um, over the last 12 months has been in the FIFA window dates, uh, which has been in September, October and November. So we've had our full complement of players um, at that stage. But um, that uh, means absolutely nothing now because, uh, as I said, six or seven of them we don't have. We're talking to Aurelio Vidmar, coach of the Oli Ruses. They head towards, hopefully, head towards Rio in August on NTS News Talk Sport on Box to Box. Now, for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar, the Olympic qualifying tournament we're referring to is to be staged in Doha, Qatar, between January the 14th and 30th. It features 16 teams in four groups of four. The top two in each progress through to the quarterfinals, where the competition continues in knockout form. The two finalists qualify for Rio, while the two beaten semi-finalists play in a winner-take-all match which will settle for third place and the final Asian qualifying spot for the Olympics. We're grouped with the UAE, who we play on January the 14th, Vietnam on January the 17th and Jordan on January the 20th. Who do you see as the as the big group of, of uh, uh, teams that, um, that we're going to be up against for those three spots? Uh, look, I don't think there's a hell of a lot of uh, difference between uh, most of the teams. It's going to be very tight. Um, I, I don't see that there's going to be any blowouts in any of the groups. Um, uh, so, you know, we've all got pretty much uh, an, even, an even group throughout the, all the four groups. So, um, look, uh, even as an example for us, Vietnam, you know, uh, generally, and, and the history suggests that uh, this should be a walkover for us. But um, they've had full-time programs for, the, for several years now. Uh, they're spending a lot more money in these countries that were un- underdeveloped. They, um, so the days of the five, six nils are uh, few and far between. So um, it's going to be pretty tough for us. Um, what's really important for us is that we start off really well. And we're pretty confident. Um, that we can get a get a win to start off the competition against the UAE. We actually had UAE in our last campaign in 2012. Although uh, it's a it's a different team, uh, they've always got a, a good history of uh, producing some fine young players. So big test for us first up. I think one that we can actually actually win. 
really how are you feeling personally because this is my sense my sense is that there is more expectation on the early roos than there probably has ever been um that we we are considered now um uh, heavyweight of Asia, and that we do have an expectation that we're going to not, you know, not waltz through these uh, tournaments, but perform well. So, how are you feeling, and do you feel that expectation, and or do you agree with me that you know uh, the football public in particular are, are starting to expect more of our our junior teams? Oh, look, I, I think the the Australian public always expects uh, a, a lot of uh, every team, not just uh, our code. Um, they always want to do well. They they always want teams that win, and uh, and we're no different. You know, we're going into the into this competition, um, you know, with a a, a, um, a very very good group. Uh, again, it's a bit of an, um, uh, a mixed bag in terms of we've got some experienced players who have actually played some games with the Socceroos, and we've got a lot of uh, players, uh, younger players, um, that uh, haven't had a lot of uh, international experience, but. Uh, we feel some of those younger players that we have in the team have certainly got a very, very uh, big and bright future with uh, with our national teams. So, um, yeah, the expectation's always there. We're, we're not shying away from it. And, um, you know, as I said, I've said this to the players for the, over the last couple of years. I'm very confident uh, that we can um, get over the line and, and um, get a berth to Rio. And just as an aside, Aurelio, while there's been... The majority of news that's, uh, that's come out of Australia joining Asia in terms of our qualifying and, uh, and Champions League, etc., you must have looked aside at, uh, at Fiji qualifying for the Olympics through uh, Oceania. <laughs> yeah, well, those, those days were great as well. But um, when we were in Oceania, we, um, we always had the, the big game was always against New Zealand. Mm. You know, we used to cruise through some ridiculous results uh, with the minnows and then uh, we had the big uh, one-off or, or two-legged game against New Zealand. Uh, then we still had the fight-off with the fifth-placed uh, fifth uh, South American nation. Mm-hmm. So um, although it was easier to an extent, um, I think what, it, what we have now is much better because we get consistent, tough international games in really some difficult uh, uh, countries and difficult conditions. And um, and that's why that we've uh, become a, a lot stronger. So um, I, I don't think uh, I'd ever want to see it go back to what it was. Uh, we're in a great competition, and um, as I said, uh, we got uh, anywhere up to a dozen games per year, which we never used to have. Aurelio, um, what can who, who should we look out for? We're all going to be watching pretty closely. Uh, these uh, these games unfold. Um, uh, I know um, you probably don't want to single out players, but um, who should we? Who, who who do you think is going to make a name for themselves through this tournament? Well, I, I hope they all do. Yeah, so do we. <laughs> if they if they all do, then we'll be laughing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, as I said, we got um, we've got um, some uh, young guys. Look, the, the the age group is 1993, 1994. Yeah. Uh, so you're you know 21, 22 years of age. Uh, we've got over uh, I think six or seven from memory uh, 1995. Um, so they're much much younger with less experience. But these are the guys, as I said earlier, that uh, we feel that they've really got a bright future. Uh, first thing, it's really important that we're trying to qualify because it's it's important not just for Australian football but also for the players' development and. Um, and Ange has also said for the senior team that he's always looking. It doesn't matter if you're 17, 18, if you're good enough and you're playing well, you always got to get a chance. And he said a couple of weeks ago that the qualifiers in March, there's spots up for grabs. 
So these guys, uh, our under-23s, our, our Oli Roos, they're, one, playing for qualification uh, to Rio. Secondly, um, there's the Confederations Cup next year in 2017 in Russia. Then in 2018 is potential World Cup. So just imagine for these guys what the next three years could mean for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about uh, about not wanting to go back to the old days. Uh, Mike Cockerell wrote an article suggesting that uh, not only should we qualify for the Olympics, we should have a, a medal in our sights. And we wish you all the best with that ambition, mate, because we know uh, when an Australian team does perform on the world stage, uh, uh, we have high expectations. So good luck, Aurelio, with the, uh, the, the campaign in Qatar and, and hopefully as we watch you towards Rio. Great. Appreciate that, guys. Thank you. Not at all, Aurelio. Thanks again, mate. We'll hope to talk to you again soon. After the break, Brendan Schwab, one of Australia's leading sports administrators, to talk us through the uh, the maze of FIFA. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Our next guest, Brendan Schwab, is not only one of the leading voices throughout the world advocating player rights, he's also an authority on everything around the administration of the world game. Based in Switzerland as head of Uni World Athletes, the global union across professional sports, including football, Brendan stepped down from his FIFPRO positions earlier this month. Senior positions they were, vice president, board member and chairman of FIFPRO Asia. Brendan is also players' representative on the FIFPRO for Players Status Committee, amongst many other things in his glittering 20-year, 20-plus year history as an administrator. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. That's a pleasure. And Brendan, what we really do want to dig deep into is uh, is this eye of the storm that we're almost in, that uh, that we now know that the uh, the worst suspicions of all of those uh, of us who observe the game around the world have, have come to fruition, that the uh, authorities are taking uh, uh, the decisions that need to be taken and those who uh, need to be held to account are going to be held to account. But what we really need to find out next is... Is there enough change going on and are the right people uh, involved in that change to, to regain the confidence uh, amongst the world of, uh, of football and its fans? I think if you're going to look at, at FIFA and indeed all the international sports, there needs to be an understanding of why we are where we're at. And in Europe, the phrase is the so-called autonomy of sports. The Olympic movement um, has advocated very strongly, even at the level of the General Assembly of the United Nations, to get sport recognised as being special, uh, as being something different, and therefore entitled to regulate itself on the basis of its own autonomy. Um, And of course, uh, we who love sport know that sport is special, but that significance should be accompanied by additional responsibility and accountability and not certain privileges for those who are vested with the responsibility of administering it. Um, the Play the Game conference in Denmark a few months ago um, famously said that, look, 2015 will go down as the death of the autonomy of sports. And we saw that, didn't we, with uh, the US prosecutors interfering, uh, as FIFA would say, in the affairs of FIFA. Fair-minded people say that that's not interference, but that's holding uh, these international sporting federations legally to account, and that's what's needed. So really the starting point is whether these organisations are going to be allowed to govern themselves autonomously um, or whether they're going to be held accountable to social and political and legal standards. And that's the debate at the moment. FIFA's trying to reform itself from within. It's probably its last effort at maintaining its own 
autonomy, um, but I doubt whether there's the broad stakeholder support beyond the member associations that feed for itself um, to, to allow that to be the final word. Brendan, I'm interested in your opinion on a, on a particular item. Um, here in Australia, we get uh, a view of what's happening at FIFA. Um, you know, extreme criticism. Um, you know, there's the, the whole whistleblower uh, piece that plays out in the media as well. What's it like in Europe and in particular other parts of the world? How do the South Americans, how do the Africans, um, how do the Latin countries view what's happening at FIFA? And does it vary, um, does, it, does it vary in different parts of the world? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think there's a real politic uh, view taken that um, these organisations are complex. Um, in Europe, there's a real understanding of, of the complexity of global politics and how hard change can be to deliver. And, and FIFA uh, is, a, is a terribly complex global organisation with all the different cultural mores and values uh, associated with that. Um, I don't think there's a strong consensus, though, but I think there is a view that is that is clearly developing, uh, even here in Switzerland, that these organisations cannot be allowed to govern themselves the way that they have. Uh, what I think is lacking at the moment is what is the alternative structure? What is the alternative way in which these bodies should be governed so that we can avoid the problems? And I think that where Australia is different is Australia sees good governance as a step towards success. So, for example, the Australian Football League Commission is put up in a positive way as a change that brought about the growth and viability of Australian rules football. In Europe, governance is seen as a necessary evil, something that exists to stop corruption, to stop malfeasance, to stop the types of practices which have been so widely publicised. What we would like from a player's point of view is to see um, governance seen in a positive light. But that means that the reforms have to be a lot more profound than what's proposed at the moment. We're talking to Brendan Schwab, head of UniWorld Athletes, the global union across professional sports, including football, a very senior administrator in international sport. And Brendan, one of the points I guess that takes us to and your particular level of expertise is uh, around the player involvement, the, uh, the, the athlete involvement in all of this. And uh, I quote an article that you wrote earlier in the year uh, where you mention uh, uh, or you quote DeMoris Smith, the executive director of the uh, NFL Players Association, where he says, our athletes and the men and women who provide services deserve to be more than just byproducts of a commercial enterprise. We need to be the moral voice in the wilderness, the voice that reclaims what was once ours. We need to take back the beauty and the humanity of sport. He, he says it so eloquently, and you clearly agree with his words, uh, using those words in your own article. Uh, just how important is the player's voice in all of this? Well, I think that um, what's particularly interesting in all the players that I've spoken to and all the unions that I've spoken to throughout the world, the Morris is a member of the executive committee, for example, of the UniWorld Athletes, um, is that the athletes, sure, they're professionals and they play the game for a living. But often that commitment to reach the highest level started at a very young age uh, with a deep emotional commitment to, to, to the sport. And what we've been talking about is reclaiming the essence of sport, that, that it is not simply uh, a view that uh, the game should be a successful commercial enterprise, that it does stand for certain things. And that's something which we feel very strongly as, as a player union movement. I think if you look at FIFA, it's now so far detached 
from the essence of sport that it's actually compromised the most important thing that it does, and that's actually to conduct the World Cup. You know, we, it was prepared to pl- uh, firstly play the World Cup in unplayable conditions in Qatar in July, overriding the expert views of its own technical committee, and now it's prepared to play the World Cup at a time which really disjoints um, the European season, which means the players won't have the same preparation, the teams won't be able to go back to their countries in leading up to the World Cup. So all of the amenity and the value of the World Cup, which is really the most important thing that FIFA has to do, has been sacrificed for reasons which are unrelated to the sport. And that's really what, what we're talking about. And it applies in all of the great threats to sport at the moment, be it doping, be it match-fixing, be it the health and safety issues, be it concussions. All of these issues are trying to be resolved increasingly without the players having a strong enough seat at the table. But the players are the first ones who can really act in order to prevent these problems from reoccurring or escalating. And um, if we look at, again, if we go back to the purpose of this interview, which in many ways is to discuss the proposed FIFA reforms, those reforms specifically go out of their way to ensure that the player's voice is marginalised in the decision-making process at FIFA. Brendan, um, that's a good segue into the next question, which is about um, the process and the candidates um, for the election, which is scheduled uh, in Zurich on the 26th of February, uh, not too far away. What can you tell us about the legitimacy of that uh, process um, and the candidates and, um, and how that might play out and what the future holds? Well, FIFPRO made an announcement setting some criteria by which the Um, candidates should be assessed. The first one is that we need a genuine reformer, someone who's capable of reforming the the complex global political and sporting institution that FIFA is. We need someone who has an impeccable track record in terms of integrity, human rights, and we also need someone who uh, is capable of um, developing the game as a game building on this theme we were just talking about, about the essence of sport. We do want someone who who has a feel for that. Five candidates have named themselves. Uh, FIFPRO's not in the position to endorse any particular ones. FIFPRO has been outspoken, and I was certainly outspoken as chairman of FIFPRO Asia against the candidacy of Sheikh Salman from from Bahrain. Uh, His candidacy concerns us greatly, not only because of the human rights concerns in Bahrain, um, uh, involving athletes, but also because he's abject failure to reform the Asian Football Confederation, which is um, an organisation whose master rights agreement, broadcast rights uh, agreement, negotiating process has been subject to an inquiry which was buried, uh, which involved um, substantial bribery and substantial undervalue of those rights. So if, if FIFA is to elect a candidate like that, then I think uh, it will be very, very um, concerning. That means that this presidential election in many ways should be seen not as the completion of the reform process and that's our biggest concern that they A, elect the president, B, adopt the, the recently announced changes of the FIFA Reform Committee and then people think that the job is done. The job won't be done, the job will only be beginning and um, the fundamental reform process needs to begin and that involves reassessing who actually is a member of FIFA. The question for everyone to ask themselves is who owns FIFA? 
And it just can't be the confederations and the member associations. It needs to be a broader group. It needs to include the fans and the players. And that fundamental question needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. And Brendan, any conversation around FIFA would be incomplete without mentioning the uh, former boss, Seb Blatter, and uh, his uh, his potential, uh, and it would now seem well and truly uh, uh, no chance of happening. Michelle Platini, uh, are both of them persona non grata within the world game? Uh, is there any chance of a comeback? Uh, their appeals uh, appear to uh, to be uh, uh, about to be tabled, but uh, they uh, they surely can't come back from here, can they? Well, you'd think not, but again, um, you know, that, that process, I must say, if, if I was representing players who'd been subjected to that process, I'd have some concerns about it. You know, um, uh, they're certainly entitled to, their, to a fair hearing in their day in court and due process, and we shouldn't lose, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Uh, the ethics committee um, has certainly done a job in, in putting to one side in most of the people in many ways who were responsible for the World Cup going to, to Qatar in, 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 in 2022. Um, again, I think that's important part of the governance process. You certainly need your checks and balances, and that ethics committee's played a very robust role. Uh, it was largely motivated to do so, it seems, in response to the United States authorities taking action in July. Uh, again, I just uh, would come back to the fundamental point. Where to now for FIFA? Uh, I think we need uh, February 26 to be the stepping stone. People certainly shouldn't get complacent with what happens there. The players will be active in ensuring that they have an equal say um, in um, what happens. You know, the players in Brazil generated $4.8 billion for FIFA. And I think that being so, that uh, they have uh, a strong claim to have a say that that money is invested in the overall best interests of the game and not being invested in the way it has been or squandered in the way it has been in recent years. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us on Box to Box from a very chilly uh, Switzerland as we swelter through a, a, a scorching hot Australian summer. Mate, uh, your insights are, are really quite uh, to the cutting edge and those amongst us who uh, pay attention not only to uh, what goes on on the pitch but are keenly interested in what goes on off it uh, are far more educated uh, having heard your words. Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you, and good luck with your program. Thank you, Brendan. We'll talk to you real soon. And uh, next, Ben Soro Perez with his roundup of football in Europe. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. You're listening to us either on digital radio, you're streaming on the NTS app, or maybe you search for us on TuneIn Radio. And now for his weekly insight into the English Premier League and Europe in general, former Brighton and Hove Albion insider Ben Soro Perez. Happy New Year, Ben. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise, Rob. Great to be here. Now, uh, let's start off with uh, LVG, Louis van Gaal. He's still in the midst of a very difficult period. They did manage to uh, get away with a a scoreless draw um, in their most recent outing against Chelsea. Uh, It was a far better performance all round. It was uh, an exciting scoreless draw by nil all standards. He came in off a very grumpy week, having uh, stormed out of a press conference. Where do you see him in uh, in the whole uh, conversation right now with Swansea coming up uh, this weekend I think he's in a tough spot I think the the result against Chelsea probably kept him in the job um, you know Mourinho is 
He's unemployed. He's supposedly waiting in the wings. He's released a statement saying he's ready to go. Um, Real Madrid have apparently been in touch and seen if he wants to head back there. So the pressure's definitely there. I mean, the rumours are that he's waiting for, for Van Hal to get the boot. Um, an interesting story came out in the English press this week about how uh, there's a bit of a theory that the, the tactics and the performance against Chelsea was actually down to Ryan Giggs um, and his... Uh, methods it it harked back the days of Ferguson United were actually you know they were having efforts on goal Mata hit the crossbar I think inside Mm. 10 minutes and it was a it was it was miles away from what we've seen from them of late Um, and I think that does well you know if Van Hal goes he's going to get paid off so it's going to be an expensive decision whichever way you look at it Um, and I don't don't think that figures into the the conversation anymore United are dropping down the table Um, they're not scoring he's not getting the best out of the players Um, and I think Swansea will be a a really tricky test for them this weekend so it it almost seems like he uh, he he just bought a little bit of time after that game Uh, David De Gea and Thibaut Courtois were the two best on ground as far as I was concerned uh, with some miraculous saves at both ends of the park so uh, it should have been a, a at least a result uh, with goals one way or the other. Whether it was a result in uh, in Manchester United's favour is a moot point. But uh, if they go down against Swansea and they're not convincing, uh, then that's about uh, the hook for him, isn't it? I think you've got to look at it that way. There's a there's a lot of debate at the minute with people saying that you know if if you look at the performance against Chelsea compared to where they've been previously, it was vastly improved. What's going to happen this week? You know, Swansea could be a potential banana skin. He could go there. He could, well, he could go there. They're coming to Old Trafford. But he could shut up shop and it could be back to the cautious pass, pass, pass approach where we've seen before, which he's more than happy for his side to have possession and he'll keep harking on about that in press conferences. But if there's no end result, there's no end result. And I think people are beginning to tire of we've had 70% possession, but, you know, we lost 1-0 or we drew 0-0 or something. There's The lack of an end product, I think, is really starting to to become the, the major talking point here. Last time Ben spoke about a coach in detail, he got him sacked. <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, you've put the moz on uh, the great man from Manchester United. Oh, well, yeah, that's, I wouldn't mind having that on the uh, the old CV. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Ben. Hey, let's uh, have a look at, shall we have a look at some Saturday fixtures in the Premier League? Get your views of those. It's been a very busy Christmas period in the Premier League. Um, this week, uh, Leicester played during the middle of the week. But um, Saturday... Uh, Obviously, you've talked about Man United and Swansea. Uh, a big game for Liverpool. They travel to the east end of London to play West Ham, and that is surely an opportunity for Liverpool, in my view. What do you think? Certainly. Um, you know, West Ham at the minute, they're p- relatively well positioned in the table. They're playing some nice football, but outside of a, you know, a strong starting eleven, the depth isn't necessarily there. Um, Bilic does like his teams to play football, though, and you know, there's a certain degree of confidence you can say that West Ham they're not going to sit there and aim for a point or be happy with a point you know they'll go there and, and they'll try and beat Liverpool um, so for Liverpool it's it's a game that perhaps you would expect them to win um, but I don't think you know you can you can look too much into Jurgen Klopp's side at the minute I think he's still figuring out his best 11 um, and the tactics that he wants to use um, I mean one thing that that I think of is, is relatively interesting out of all this is that um, if Liverpool if, if results go their way and Liverpool win at the weekend they'll be on the same points as United um, now the interesting point there is Liverpool have already got rid of a manager this year that wasn't getting it done um, you know United obviously don't listen necessarily to the fans because it's not their decision to make but there must come a point where you look around at other clubs who've made the difficult decision and are reaping the rewards and perhaps that could be the the, the 
the straw, I guess, on Van Hal's back. He's got it in for Louis Van Gaal, Rob. He does, clearly. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think Louis's been following his Twitter feed. He's, uh, he, he was the guy that the, Louis was referring to when he um, when he, he tore strips off the press, and that's probably why he was run out of Brighton and Albion, to be perfectly honest, to our advantage, which is wonderful. But on to the next game, Arsenal v Newcastle. So the Gunners go into the new year, top of the ladder. They displace uh, Leicester on goal difference. Uh, now, they were thrashed by Southampton only to, to come back and get the result the following uh, game. Are they big game bottlers? Tell us that. I wouldn't necessarily say... That. I wouldn't go that far, I don't think. I think they still struggle with the big games, be that because of not necessarily a lack of confidence, but because they're overawed by the occasion or they appreciate they're going to have to go that little bit further than perhaps they're more comfortable doing so. Um, but no, I wouldn't call them bottlers. I think erratic I think is probably the, the term I'd use for them. But up against the Newcastle side that, well, very weak from week, we know the performances you're going to get from them. I mean, they beat Liverpool and Tottenham in successive weeks, um, but they haven't done anything since that. So you'd look at that and think, well, if they can beat clubs at you know that end of the table, why can't they get anything from Arsenal? Um, but I would expect the the Gunners to win here. I mean, you know, Meza Ozil leading, I think he's leading Europe in assists now. Um He's on fire creatively. He's got great players around him, and he's against the league's second worst defence in Newcastle. I think there's, there's got goals all over it. Last time Arsenal were top of the league on New, on New Year's Day, which they are today, they finished fourth. Can Arsenal can Arsenal go all the way this year, Ben? Yeah, I I think Petacek was a huge addition in the summer. Um, there are rumours that they're bringing in a midfielder from Basel whose name escapes me at the minute to replace Coquelin who's injured and a couple of the others um, it's a poor year in the Premier League I don't want to knock Leicester's achievement or anything like that but you would expect with the sums outlaid by the big clubs that someone would be running away with this well that's a good segue into Leicester, Leicester versus Bournemouth I had a good look at Leicester during their Christmas break I saw them play twice and um, you know they they play that counter style they uh you know, they, they, they hung in uh, against uh, Manchester City during the week. Um, I actually think they can finish in the top four, um, but they've got to beat teams like Bournemouth. I think the thing that was most impressive about that, that back-to-back games for Leicester was that, that they lost, but then they maintained their composure they against group, a side yeah, like City, yeah, yeah. And, uh, mm. uh, and, and and still clung on to a point. They I mean, didn't play well against Liverpool. But they didn't, but that's the point here, and, and we've come through a, a run of five games where many suggested they might not even pick up a point, and they've, they've uh, played the best that there is to offer in the Premier League, and they've walked away with nine points. So to, to suggest that, that they've come through that now and they're going to face Bournemouth this weekend would indicate that, um, you know, we've got to really be talking to, about them as genuine Champions League finishers, and, you know, maybe if it all works out for them, something better. Yeah, I mean, I was one of those who sceptically looked at their run of games a few weeks back and thought, you know, the wheels weren't going to fall off, but they would struggle against some of the big clubs, and it just hasn't happened. Um, as Edge pointed out, you know, their game is suited to the counter-attack. He's built it. They know they're going to be under pressure. The ball retention perhaps isn't necessarily the strongest point, but their strength is how quickly they will hit you on the break. And in Mares and Vardy, they've got pace all over the shop. So I think Leicester can do very well. I mean, the rumours are still there that Mares um, is being looked at by, I think, City were one of the clubs mooted to be looking at him, and perhaps Vardy to an extent. I mean, mm. keeping hold of them will be crucial, but if they do... But like why would say, they go? They're guaranteed, not guaranteed, but they're, they're, they're going to 
get a, a, a pay rise anyway. They're owned by a, a, a tired billionaire. Uh, they're likely to play Champions League football next year. Where's the incentive to go to a struggling side like Manchester United right now or Chelsea who are who are under the pump? Why not stay at Leicester and enjoy all the excitement of uh, a team on the rise? I agree to a certain extent, but I think you have to look past this season. Hmm. I don't... I'm not necessarily of the belief that Leicester will be this competitive next year. Be that because they don't spend too wisely in the summer, they lose a couple of key players or whatever reason. I don't think they have the resources and the strength and depth to be able to to promise players like that, no, stick around next year, we're going to make that next leap. So I think if you're Vardy or you're Mahrez, you know, the wages on offer is one thing, the continued um, chance to show yourself on TV... Uh, in European competitions is another one. Uh, the chance to win silverware. I think there's there's more than just um, this season at work, I think, in the decisions that they may have to make. We're with Ben Soro Perez talking everything Europe. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley on Box to Box on NTS News Talksport. Edge, what have you got? Well, we should just mention who Manchester City and Tottenham play this weekend. Manchester City have to go to Watford. And Tottenham, who we don't often talk about, but they just keep hanging in there, currently in fourth spot, 35 points, four points off top spot. Uh, They've got a big game. They've got to go up the highway, and uh, they've got to play Everton. Now, Leicester did that a few weeks ago and and won. So if Tottenham are real contenders for Europe uh, and even maybe the championship, they must win that game as well. Yeah, you'd have to look at it that way. I mean... One thing I would like to say here, just I'm a huge fan of Mauricio Pochettino. Mm. If you're a top four club, Mm. you know, Daniel Levy is not a pleasant person to negotiate with, but you have to look at the work he's done at Southampton and now Spurs in turning them around. So I think Spurs will, I don't think they'll roll Everton over. Everton have some very good players and in Lukaku they've got, you know, a striker in form. But I think Spurs will take something from this. They're they're growing each week. They're resolute, hard to beat. um, And I see them taking the three points here. And one final comment on Europe, mate, before we uh, we wrap it up. Yeah, just very quickly. Um, interesting story. So Barcelona signed someone the other day, uh, Sergi Guardiola. Um, no relative to Pep, as mm. far as I'm aware. Um, and then uh, got rid of him after a few hours. Basically cancelled the contract null and void. He'd, uh, he tweeted some anti-Catalan and um, anti-Barcelona tweets. Um, he claims they weren't him, you know, it was a mates or whatever, but they, you know, not not biting on that, not having any of it. Um, and interestingly, I mean, you look at some of the indiscretions of other people in on social media around, you know, the Premier League and what they get away with. This isn't the first time it's happened. So Deportivo got rid of someone back in July, mm-hmm. uh, Julio Rey, who he, he did the same thing, bashed them on social media, and that was it out the door. So it's an interesting trend, I think, to, to monitor in this. Yeah, it sure is. It's the emerging uh, world of players' voices, and uh, sometimes it doesn't work out quite well for them, and they deserve to be punished if they're going to publish uh, uh, distasteful comments. Uh, Hopefully they'll resurrect their career and be a little bit more uh, uh, insightful into what they say in future. Benny, fantastic work, mate. Have a great new year. As always, your work is first class. No worries. Cheers, Rob. Next up, stoppage time with Mark Van Aken. Box to box. Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box and Mark Van Aken. The fourth official signals. There's just under seven minutes to go. Just seven. Just for the first time. Pressure's on. They usually round it out, but this time he said just under seven just minutes. Just under yeah. seven. Okay. What, what's on in stoppage time, mate? Well, look, given it's New Year's Day 2016, I thought let's look back on 2015. The big football moments through MVA's eyes. Uh, of course, go right back to January. Socceroo 
Socceroos Asian champions. Just a great month for the game, not just because of the Aussie victory, but also the colour and the crowds that came with it. The stadiums were bursting at the scenes. We were wondering who would turn up for some of those lesser games, but it was just a cracker. We had the intra-club Palestine and Jordan in Melbourne. That we was did. good. That was I had tickets for that, did not go. But uh, no, that, no, look, I think that whole tournament, I know uh, Eddie Maguire on Triple M was really getting stuck into it, saying no one would turn up. But uh, no, it was the good. crowds flocked, and it was great. Obviously, through my Liverpool, these are a little bit out of order, my Liverpool glasses on, Klopp for the cop. I thought that's uh, fantastic. Obviously, still has been uh, touched on just in the last segment. Still some teething problems going on in the Anfield, but I think uh, long term, that's going to be a, a massive uh, thing for the Liverpool Football Club. Again, Put my orange glasses on now. The Dutch missing out on Euro 2016, despite it being expanded to 24 teams, which is more than half the teams in UEFA. That's like, you know, it's like TAFE. Anyone can get in, and the Dutch still didn't do it. So, uh, anyway, the victory treble, of course, they're in a little bit of trouble at the moment. Uh, and, of course, who can forget Frank Lowy falling headfirst off the stage. And it was just, it was amazing scenes because I know everyone's just passing mouth stuff here. Yeah, you never forget that moment. I remember that more than the game itself. More selfishly because you just thought, well, now what? Now what do you do? How do you celebrate? Awkward. You know, how do, you, do they present the trophy and go, right, and go inside? Like, mm. anyway, obviously all's well ends well. Although he, Frank Lowy does or does or has had surgery. Uh, yeah, pretty significant surgery, so, but he got through that. Anyway, uh, the CBA, the time it took a bit like this segment at the moment is. Uh, as Rob just uh, gives me the wide up there. The Matildas striking and winning. They took on City Hall and won, so good for them. The Perth Glory salary cap saga costing the club a real crack at the finals and the stench that still surrounds the club. Uh, Terra hitting the beautiful game at Stade de France. We've already seen the ramifications in Melbourne with the big fence going up around the MCG that's likely to stay there throughout the AFL and, of course, any football games that are played there. And, of course, we touched on it, but Leicester City from last to first in the space of 12 short months. And while they stumbled a little of late over this holiday period, um, it was supposed to see them get undone, boys, and they're still, of course, basically only off top spot on goal difference. So amazing stuff. And finally, Chelsea from champs to chumps. Absolutely mind-boggling. And that one, I've been able to rustle up. You'll sitting for you. you, you yeah, but before we do, um, course, I do yeah, think... There was no, oh, no, okay. no I, there is a sad moment. Newcastle United, former Newcastle United goalkeeper Pavel Schnertzik, died at the age of 47, nine days after he suffered a cardiac arrest in his native Czech Republic. Uh, uh, he was a massive fan favourite at St James's Park with Newcastle. And uh, it's, it's just made more uh, sad, uh, tragic by the fact that he, he didn't let himself go. He was out for a run, keeping himself fit. So I just guess it goes to show that uh, when that your time is up, your be time exercising. is up. You shouldn't be Under any circumstances, Rob, just stay on the couch, look, watch football. Look, look, um, we, know that, uh, we know that some people in here have uh, pretty good connections, and yeah. we know that Hus Hiddink has uh, taken up a... A temporary role, I think it is, at uh, Chelsea. Yeah, so we've been able to get Huss into the studio all the way uh, via via Jet Airline. He's just come out to talk to us. So yeah, good evening, come Huss. On, come on to Concord. Welcome they back. They got rid of the Concord, but for us, anything is possible. Hey, what uh, Huss, what drew you back to the club at, uh, at Chelsea? Money. Yeah, of course. I say to Mr. Bramovich to fill a big sack like Santa Claus with 100 euro notes. And when it starts to overflow, yeah, okay, well, maybe I'll come have a look. And uh, he come, there's a few more sacks of money. And, uh, yeah, now I'm back in London, and it's very nice. And you welcome the chance to get out of Holland, Goose? Yeah, I think anybody would welcome the chance to leave Holland. Of course, you look at London, all the sights, the culture, the Thames River. On one hand, you have a place with terrible food, worse weather, always cloudy, raining, and miserable. And, of course, there's also Holland. So, uh, from that perspective, that was a gag, the rabbit.
<laughs> I made you think I was talking about London, but I was oh, hang on, I was talking about London anyway. But yeah, I've been here before, of course. Uh, this is my second time at Chelsea, and uh, it is a very interesting club. What do you love about London? What's oh, London, I love. Well, the first thing, uh, what I love is the history, of course, and the pubs. I love to get down to have a Heineken at the pub. I love to catch the tube. I put a little disguise so they don't see me. I like to go to Trafalgar Square uh, to climb on the lions. I also like to feed the pigeons, Rob. Uh, yeah, but last time, uh, the only disappointment in London, I go to the Piccadilly Circus. And I must say, it's a pretty crappy excuse for a circus. Yeah, there's no clowns. There's no trapeze. There's not even elephants. Not sure, but there's lots of white lights, so yours, I guess, can take something out of it. Yeah, the Pommies do things a little bit differently yeah, over there, don't they? they, they in, in Holland, that's not a circus. Anyway. Okay, so back at Chelsea, how are you finding it? Yeah, well, it's the same as before. I think it's a soulless... Oh, no, I can't say that. Uh, yeah, it is a fantastic experience. Uh, <laughs> I've had a big uh, job to do, of course, in the dressing room. I went to uh, Terry, Terry John. Is that his name? That's him. Yep. Terry John. He made the... Uh, he was very not not happy with the Jose uh, Mourinho that was there. So I thought to make uh, Terry John happy, I went to Tesco's and bought him a big tub, the extra big tub of the hair gel. And I gave it, I massaged the scalp, yeah. And uh, they also said I should smoke the peace pipe. But I said, when I come from Holland, I think you're thinking of a different peace pipe that we have. Uh, and they said someone named Bobby said I was not allowed to smoke it over there. Anyway. You got more questions with you. Time is money. I'm very, I'm very important man. With all your gifts, uh, you've won over the dressing room, and I also wanted to know how you're feeling about uh, your good mate um, over at Manchester United. Who is this? Ryan, uh, Ryan Giggs Louis is my friend. No, no. Uh, Louis, Louis, ah, Louis, Mr. Van Gaal. Feeling his pain. Mania Van Gaal. Yeah, I don't, I don't like him so much. I don't think he's doing a very good job. But hopefully, if he gets the sack there, maybe I get another sack of cash when I go to the Manchester. Who knows? Thank you for joining us. It's been a wonderful experience. Krakadan, happy new year, and I can see I give you goosebumps again. As you always do. So that is Box to Box for another week. Join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other. It is the new year. We wish all of our listeners a happy new year, and we're very grateful for your support and hope to bring you more of the breaking news as 2016 rolls out.